0: pastor had spoken to me about speaking tonight and he asked because of the way things went last week with the questions Um, he was dealing with divorce and remarriage and where we as Christians where we stand biblically scripturally with that and as he was teaching there were questions coming in uh, I think he may have been able to get to two or three of them, and then near the end, a couple of others came in. So he asked if I would just continue along that line. Now, now, guys, listen, if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, that really doesn't affect me, um, either because been married, been married a long time, um, I'm a widow-widower, don't plan on getting married again, For whatever reason, no, it it does affect you too because I will promise you that you will have someone somewhere in your life that will have a question similar to what we will be dealing with last week and tonight on marriage, divorce, remarriage. And you know what, guys? We can't just give a flippant answer. We have to give a biblical answer. Um, that is our foundation, that is our rock, that is our source. Um, So we're going to look at it again tonight. I'm going to ask you to go with me to the book of Malachi. I want to touch on just a few things that Pastor did speak on last Wednesday night. And again, he and I have already had this conversation, so I'm not trying to... uh, One better pastor, as he and I were talking, he was asking me to do some of these things. Okay, so in Malachi chapter two and verse sixteen, you know, I love I love so much what Pastor said at the beginning, and you hear us in Life Track, uh, you hear it regularly. Calvary is absolutely founded on the Word of God. Um, It doesn't matter what Pastor Tony or Pastor Emilio says. What matters is what does God's Word say. And Pastor Tony and Pastor Emilio, we better say what God's Word says. And if we don't, you don't listen to us. But when it is God's Word, that's where we make our lives and our answers line up, is with God's Word. And... We've often heard this, and Pastor did teach on this last Wednesday night, but in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Um, We know... We know that God hates divorce, but there needs to be a little bit of clarity to that of why, what are the reasons behind God hating divorce. God does hate it, but not usually for the reasons that we have heard growing up in church. But the root reason is much more intimate. It's much more affectionate between God and his creation of why he hates divorce. God knows that divorce deeply wounds and actually attempts to destroy his children, his beloved, and divorce does everything that it can to steal, kill, and destroy God's creation. Divorce will absolutely assassinate you. In my blessed responsibilities here at Calvary, I get to do a lot of counseling, and I've counseled a lot of people who have gone through divorce. And I've heard these statements more than once. They've stated that, you know, I, I've, I've gone through this, I've gone through that, I've lost financially, I've lost this, that, and the other, but I've never gone through a hurt I've never experienced a pain like I am experiencing now because of divorce. Satan literally uses that to do everything that he can to assassinate God's children. And that's why God hates divorce. He hates divorce because of what it does to you, his beloved. He's like a father. Only he is perfect. He doesn't want his children hurting. He doesn't want his children being ripped apart. So it's always important that you remember, and especially if you have experienced this in your life, that yes, God hates divorce. He hates the sin that brought that divorce about. But this is what you have to always keep in mind. But God does not hate the divorcee. God loves that person who is divorced. There should have been an amen right there, okay? That's never that never wavers. That was not his perfect will. I'm sure that there was some sadness that this has happened and and his children are going through that. But nowhere do you find in the scripture and nowhere will you find in the sovereignty and the holiness and the goodness and the loveliness of God that he hates the person who is now divorced. For he does not. He loves you just as much as ever before. So we're going to continue to to look at some questions, but I wanted to get that out of the way. I, I really think sometimes... When people have experienced the heartbreak and heartache and destruction of divorce that they feel like that now God is out to get them. That now God doesn't see them the way that he used to see them. Let me tell you something. If you're a born-again Christian, he does still see you the same way because he still looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that makes you righteous. So another question is, what reasons does the Bible give for divorce? Well, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew 5. And I, I know I'm touching on some ground that we looked at with Pastor last week, but you'll see where I'm going with all of this. Matthew chapter 5, in verse beginning at verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits Adultery. I think everyone is uh, smart enough here tonight and everyone knows that physical adultery that is being spoken of here is when a man or a woman has chosen to physically touch another person who is not their husband or their wife in a sexual way. That's what it's talking about. And I I think, I don't think that we need to go into that. I I think we're very well versed in our society of what physical adultery is all about. But I want to share with you two other areas of adultery that I, I don't think we do think about sometimes, but is just as real And if we're not careful with them, it can lead to the physical adultery. And so the first one, if you would turn over with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22 will go first. I want to talk to you about emotional adultery. I think a lot of times we don't think about this because we don't want to. Because thoughts are something that are private and thoughts are something that we can hide from everyone else. But thoughts are something that we have to be very careful with. And again, can someone please say amen to that because it is true. Now, <laughs> ladies, I've got two scriptures here that you're going to think I'm jumping on you about, but I'm not, okay? Okay. Uh, But let's just read God's Word and let God's Word speak for itself. We're talking about emotional adultery. And in Proverbs chapter 22, I want you to look at the beginning of verse 14. The mouth of an adulterous woman is a deep pit. Oh, sweetheart, you look so good. I wasn't talking about me. Y'all don't, don't, don't sit there so stone-faced, okay? You know, when, when a man is all down on himself and things aren't going right, there can be words that are spoken to him by a woman that God can, I mean, that the enemy can put into his life that will literally turn his world. It's worse than upside down. Because the enemy is using that to begin to play an emotional game with him that is going to draw him away not only from his wife, but will eventually draw him away from his God. See, one thing you need to understand. Yeah, Satan does want to break up a marriage. There's there's no doubt about that. He does want to bring destruction into your life and steal, kill, and destroy and assassinate you with... Uh, divorce and and those kind of things. But you need to also be very much aware that his ultimate goal is to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the reasons it's important for us to understand what God's Word is saying. Well, go with me. Just turn back a, a few pages to Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9. We're still looking at emotional adultery, But Proverbs 9, beginning at verse 13, it says, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, man, and that's true, hey, If you don't have any sense, you'll fall for it every time. And those who have fallen for it was because they didn't have any sense, I'm telling you. For those who have no sense, she says, listen to verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But then it follows up with verse 18. But little do they, who are the they, those who have no sense. Little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Emotional adultery happens or begins to happen. Let me put it that way. Begins to happen when one person shares their personal thoughts, feelings, and emotions with another person that is not their spouse, I haven't had an opportunity to say this for quite some time, but I want to say it now so everyone will understand. Is it wrong for a man to pray for a woman here at the altar? No. But if you'll notice, um, usually when when I'm watching and trying to help do a little bit of directing. Um, if if a lady goes to a, a man to be prayed for, or if a man goes to a woman that is down here praying, I'll try to bring someone else in alongside of them. Guys, this is a very vulnerable time right down here at this altar area. Very vulnerable. You are opening yourself up. You're you're being willing to share with someone what's going on in your life, why you need prayer. And you would think, but it's prayer. Yeah, but let me tell you, Satan will use everything he can to bring destruction into someone's life. And so that's why we we always try to make sure that there's someone else there. In agreement, don't ever feel guilty, don't ever feel bad, you've not done anything wrong, that if I bring someone else over there, don't you feel like you have to walk away? No. The reason is, it is as much for your protection as it is the pastors or the elders or the trustees or whoever is down here praying. It is to protect both. So the enemy cannot find a way in on either one's life. So it's when we begin to share our personal thoughts, feelings, and emotions with somebody else that is not our spouse. Now, again, this can be very deceiving because a person thinks that they're not being unfaithful as long as they don't physically touch the other person. But emotional adultery is crossing that line into sin Just as much as physical adultery does and it can cause just as extreme serious problems in the marriage and lead to physical adultery if it's not stopped because it begins innocent. And then you begin to share a little bit more and you share a little bit more and you share a little bit more and you finally get to the place that nobody understands me like that man or that woman. And because they understand me that way, they're the ones that I really wish I could be with. And if you're wishing that you could be with them, the enemy's going to see to it that a way opens up for you to be with them. We have to be on our guard. So that, that is the beginning of emotional adultery. But I want to give you some other examples. When a conversation becomes about personal topics, instead of just business with a member of the opposite sex that is not your spouse, you're on the pathway to emotional adultery. I'm going to get very transparent and very plain. The ladies that work in our office, when I talk to them, I talk to them about church. I talk to them about what's going on here, about business. We don't share and interact with personal things that are going on in our lives, unless maybe two of them will come to one of the pastors or myself and they want prayer and then we'll pray about it. But we pray about it, and we walk away believing God's going to handle it. But if you have a coworker that you find yourself, you're sharing more personal things with them than you are business, then you need to let the Holy Spirit arrest you right now and say, be careful, you're on the wrong path. Another one, discussing your marriage issues and problems with someone of the opposite sex other than your spouse. How many of you know what Sharon calls me when I'm in trouble? Willis. <laughs> and yeah, it came from, what you talking about, Willis? Now, you know that she calls me Willis when I'm in trouble. you know what you don't know? What I'm in trouble about. (laughs) You see, I know I'm not going to tell you. And you know what? I am absolute confident that my wife will never, ever betray my confidence to anyone else. If we are having any kind of problems She will not go to anyone else. She will not go to her girlfriends. She will not go to family. She will come to me and we'll talk about it and pray about it and pray about it and talk about it. But I don't worry about her sharing those intimate things of our marriage with anyone else. And I'll tell you what, if we're having any trouble... I'm not going to share it with anyone else because that's between she and I. Let me tell you, that is beginning to open a door wide open for the enemy to stick his foot in and somebody say, you know what? Your wife or your husband doesn't understand you, but I do and I just want you to know I'm here for you. No, they're not. They're not here for you. They're here to wreck your life because if you believe that, you're somebody with no sense whatsoever. Man or woman, hey, I didn't say that. God said it in His Word. You don't have any sense. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let Him guide you. Boy, I tell you, I'm 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 getting off my notes tonight. You know how a five star man should hug a woman, whether she is older than him, his age, or younger than him. It shouldn't be a full on hug. It should be a sideways hug. Oh, Pastor Tony, you're just not with it. You're not with it. You know what? I've been married 47 years, and I plan on being married another 47 years. Never had to worry about that because I don't give full-on hugs. If it happens, it's by accident, okay? (laughs) If it happened, my feet got in the way, and I kind of (laughs) just... I'm going to give a sideways hug. Oh my God, you know what I just heard? Willis! <laughs> you better believe it's going to be sideways, hallelujah. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can also say, Willis! And he has time and time again. All right, that's emotional adultery, but there's also visual adultery this one's going to be quick because we know about this but i I just need to bring it up go to matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28 matthew 5 beginning in verse 27 you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart I don't mean to be crass or rude or anything like that and Sharon and I have taught on this subject together and she knows what I'm teaching tonight okay matter of fact she's probably watching if we're live streaming tonight we always laugh about it we make a joke about when God made Eve and how Adam looked at her and said, whoa, man, because she was beautiful. God did a great job at making woman. But I've got the woman that is for me. And so when another beautiful woman walks by, I either let my eyes drop to the floor or somewhere else, but I don't follow her with my eyes, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm being very transparent with you you people tonight. Very transparent. Because I know that if I were to do that, that the enemy will immediately put something in my mind. Now James says that that thought or imagination is not the sin or Or the thought is not the sin, but it's when we begin to imagine, we begin to claim that thought as our own. Sometimes you can't help something that might come into your mind. That's the reason I try to guard my eyes so not to allow those things to come into my mind. But if they were to, what we have to be careful of is that when it becomes an imagination and we begin to think about it, we begin to think about what it would be like to be with that person, then sin is birth. Out of sin comes death. And Jesus said that if you go that route, visual becoming a thought and an imagination, you've already sinned in your heart and committed adultery. So we know that. Another question is a Christian may give a Christian may give a divorce to a non-Christian if a non-Christian wants it. That was covered last week. You know, I, I tell you, what, I'm going to kind of move past that. Pastor shared that um, if there's an abandonment, if that non-Christian says, I don't want to stay in this marriage, um, then the Christian is free to give that and they can move forward. I, I want to add something here, though, that we haven't talked about so far. And that's domestic abuse. Domestic abuse may mean that it's time to consider leaving the marriage. Now, I want to go back to Malachi. And really, I I shared this one a moment ago, and I I didn't mean to. But now I am on the right one. Malachi 2.16. I want to read it again. It says, The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God said in the Amplified, for I hate divorce, and him who covers his garment with wrong and violence. Therefore, this is from the Amplified. Therefore, keep watch on your spirit so that you do not deal treacherously with your wife. All right, we know God hates divorce. But he also hates a man covering himself with violence. Now, I looked at this and in the Hebrew that Hebrew word can also mean this, covering his wife with violence. That is something that God hates when a man treats his wife that way. Now, let me tell you something. Violence, yes, it, it certainly is physical, but violence can also be with the words. It can be emotional. It can be verbal. It can be physical. And so when those things are happening, now, guys, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to give anybody an excuse or anything, but I would never, ever tell a lady to stay in this kind of uh, dangerous situation. All right? I, I can't do that. I just can't. Well, moving on, it, there was a question given last Wednesday night. It said, what if two believers have fallen out of love? Okay, go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. I can't remember if Pastor, I, I, I want to say he might have touched on this one just briefly. And I may not have the question exactly, but it was basically if, if two people were in love... And now they find themselves, they have fallen out of love. Is it okay for them to divorce? Well, in Revelation chapter 2 and beginning at verse 4, he said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. God said, I've, I've got something against you. And the thing that I've got against you is you have literally forsaken... Your first love. Now, I know he was talking about the fact that he was the first love. I understand that, but there's a principle here. I'm I'm not taking it out of context, but I'm looking at the principle. All right, and the principle is that, and again, I'm going to use myself as the example. My first love was Sharon. Um, I don't mind telling you, I was 14 years old. When, when Sharon and I began to quote unquote date, we, we, we really didn't date, we courted. Because I was 14, I didn't even have a driver's permit and my mother had to take me to her house. She drove me over there, I sat in the living room with her and then my mommy came and picked me up again after church on Sunday night. So I courted Sharon when I was 14 years old, but she's my first love. But you know what? You may have been 40-something or 30-something or 20-something. But the person you're with right now, that you're in covenant with right now, they're your first love. Oh, but I've had somebody else. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't bring somebody else into the mix. You know what? When I came to God, I don't tell God, well, uh, you 're not really my first love because I used to really enjoy partying, and I used to love doing this, and I used to love doing that. No, when I came to god he 's my first love. I let all of that other stuff go. Well, Sharon is my first love, and I, I want to tell you guys something i don 't believe in falling in and out of love that That is a worldly phrase that I reject. This is me personally. I tell you what, let's, let's read on to verse 5, and then I'll, I'll finish this up. Consider how far you have fallen. See, this question was, we've fallen out of love. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first, because if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I have found out that life and me walking in the will of God has everything to do about choices, what choices I make or what choices I do not make, choices. You chose to date, choices. You chose to spend time together, choices. You chose to see the good and desirable qualities of your spouse. And out of those choices that you made, love began to develop for that other person. So God is saying, repent and do the things that you did at first. What did you do at first? You know why some people say they have fallen out of love? Because they quit doing what they were doing when they began to experience love for one another. One of the grandest things that Sharon and I did, I I tease about it. Yeah, I was 14. I couldn't drive. I had to sit there in her parents' house on that couch. But you know what Sharon and I did for three hours every Sunday afternoon? We talked, we didn't text. We didn't email. We didn't get on the phone. No, we got on the phone during the week, but we talked. How many of you remember the party line? Anybody ever had a party line? Oh, it's a few hands out there. We had a party, party line with uh, Grace Gilbert. She was a next door neighbor, and she used to come to my mama's house at least once a week, and she'd say, Alma, that boy of yours, he stays on that phone all the time with that little girl. I can hear him talking to that little girl. He never will let me get on the phone. He needs to hang up sometimes so I can call the people I need to call. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I grew up in Mayberry, all right? Yes, I did. <laughs> but we talked. We talked. And it was because I chose to ask my mother to take me over there. I chose to ask Sharon's parents to let me come in the afternoon and stay. I chose to talk to Sharon. I chose, chose, chose. And because of those choices, love began to grow in my heart toward her. And I knew she was the one that God had for me. So when there's problems, you know what we do? We talk. Now... We may send a text and say, hey, we got to talk. But we don't send a text that you just have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. No, it's usually just like, we need to talk. <laughs> if I ever get one that says, we need to talk, so help me. When I look at it, I hear screaming off of that phone, with <laughs> But we talk. And then we pray and we pray because that's something else we used to do together was pray. We'd go to church together at night. How many of you remember at the altar call at night the men would go to one side of the altar and the women would go to the other side of the altar? I see Mike, anybody else like that? You you remember Ronnie? Well, when Sharon and I were dating and we'd go to the altar, we'd go right to the middle and we'd hold hands and we'd pray and here's what some of the women of the church would say they would come to her daddy and they'd say Pastor Mac with the way they go down there to that altar and hold hands and pray together there's any, any idea what they might be doing when they get alone by themselves now you had to know my, my father in law He'd say, okay, so you're concerned that they're down there praying together. You don't like it because they may be doing something else. He said, you know what, I know what they're doing because he comes over to my house and they talk and they pray, they talk and they pray. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was 14 years old. I didn't really want to pray all the time with her, okay? (laughs) But Sharon was a preacher's kid. And then about six months into it, I found out that another reason was because her daddy had fixed a mirror that was right there in front of the couch where he could sit in the other room and he could see the mirror and he could see us. (laughs) I have a wise wife. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, I'm getting so far off. Choices. Repent and do the things you did at first. I will promise you that if you'll go back and do those things, that those fires will be rekindled. It's because we've stopped doing them that the fires have gone out. And we've let life come in. And we we have to be careful with that. Well, I've got to move on. Number four, if a spirit-filled married man in leadership gets involved with a spirit-filled woman in leadership... And each leave their spouse and marry each other. Does this disqualify them for leadership ministry? Now, this was a question given near the end of last Wednesday night's service. I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. And this is my opinion. I'm not making a judgment call. This is, I do feel this. They may have at one time been a spirit-filled man. She may have at one time been a spirit-filled woman. But I think if it got to this point to where they got involved with each other and they were married, they had told the Holy Spirit, you stay over here. I don't want you to fill me right now, fill me up right now, because I, I've got some other intentions in mind. So having said that, I'm going to say this. The very first thing that has to happen is Repentance. Can they still be in leadership? They've got to repent first and foremost. Guys, we can't let sin enter into our lives and think we can just continue doing everything that we've done in the past. If sin is there, there must be repentance. Because if there is no repentance before you know it, the Spirit of God is completely gone. Now, some of you you, you, you may take me to task about backsliding and all of that. That's okay. We're not here to discuss that tonight. But I'm telling you that if we constantly, constantly go to the flesh, if we go to where sin is, then we're pushing God. We're making choices of, of the flesh and of sin rather than God. And so the first thing this couple needs to do is repent. Repent. And then there must be a submitting to spiritual authority. Why do they need to submit to spiritual authority? Because they need someone to speak into their lives and tell them what's going on. See, they said this, this couple divorced and they're married. So they've already married. And you know what? Two wrongs don't make a right. You don't divorce again. Okay, they're, they're married. That's the question. They need some spiritual leadership and authority in their life to help them navigate and walk through this, and there must be a restoration. There must be a healing time in their lives. Now, I want to share a scripture with you. You can turn there if you want or just write it down. You've heard it. God says in Romans eleven twenty nine: For the gifts and calling of God are without Repentance. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I understand that. God doesn't repent. He never says, I'm sorry I did that. But although God may not, we can disqualify ourselves if we persist in our sin. So that's why I say repentance, submitting to spiritual authority, and then if... If God restores that position of leadership, then let it be God. And you know what, guys? We know when it's God and when it's not. I'm not talking about, well, we really like them and we don't want to lose them. No, let God do it because God can and he will if it's to be done. And the last question what if your Christian spouse divorces you and adultery is not involved? Are you free to remarry? Yes. If reconciliation is not possible, then that's abandonment. That's what 1 Corinthians was talking about. And you are free to marry. Guys, I think it's also important to remember something else about divorce. Well, God hates it. It's never the perfect will of God, but it happens. But here's the thing I read in Matthew chapter 12 that I give you that one, guys. I think it was Matthew 12. I read in Matthew chapter 12 that there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. Yeah, there we go. Matthew 12:31. And so I tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. According to that, if you have experienced divorce and you've come to God with a repentant heart, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, guys, don't use that as an excuse. Well, I'm tired of this one. I'm going to divorce this one, and I'll get forgiven for that, and then I'll go marry somebody else. No, that's the wrong kind of thinking. That's, no, that's stinking thinking, so don't do that. But if it's happened, you can be forgiven, and God can and will work in your life. Stand up with me, please. I know this is one of those subjects that's not really a shouting subject, but it's a subject, again, like I explained from the beginning, we need to have understanding. I guarantee you there are people you work with, there are people in your family, they want to know. And and here's the sad thing. The church over the years, oh my God, we have destroyed people who have experience divorce we've done as much damage to them when I say we the church as the divorce did almost not really but almost so guys we need to understand God's word we need to understand God's love we need to understand God's grace we don't take advantage of it that's not what I'm teaching tonight that's not what pastor teaches we don't take advantage of it but we do embrace it, his love, his grace, and his mercy. Father, I thank you for every person here tonight, Lord. I thank you that you are moving in people's lives. And Lord, I thank you that through your word, you give us answers so that we can be a help and a blessing to those people we work with, with the, for those people that are in our families, those people who may be our neighbors We don't just have to shrug our shoulder or say, maybe you need to talk to so-and-so. No, the Holy Spirit can use us to give a word in due season that will be a refreshing to someone who needs it. For someone who has felt even worse than second class, we can give them a word of encouragement and refreshing. And the Holy Spirit can move and work in their lives. And He can give them wisdom and understanding according to the Word of God. Father, may You take Your Word and expand it in our hearts. Expand our understanding of Your Word, O God. Father, I thank You that there will be those who will take this lesson and they'll go back and study it. And they'll grow in your word and because they're growing in your word they're growing in you so father may you bless and prosper each and every one by your holy spirit by your word tonight we give you praise, glory and honor and with all of our hearts Lord we love you with all of our hearts we praise you with all of our hearts we give you glory with all of our hearts we thank you for your mercy, your grace and your goodness and your holiness In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.